Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 29. In the last episode, I covered the Hazorian general Sisera and the town he held from, Herosheth Hogoyim. Both of these mentioned in Judges 4, in a lead up to the judge Deborah and the Israelite commander Barak. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. Since she was a judge, I've already covered what's known about Deborah, and we'll kick off this episode with Barak. And with that, let's get started. Barak was a military commander in ancient Israel, likely hailing from the tribe of Ephraim. He was the son of Abinoam, who was from Kadesh, found in Naphtali's territory, though Barak's mother was from the tribe of Benjamin. His name translates from Hebrew as lightning, and similar forms can be found in other nearby languages, such as Hamakar Barca, a 3rd century BC Carthaginian general and statesman whose name is the Punic equivalent of Barak. Barak's claim to fame is the defeat of the Canaanite armies led by their general Sisera, all while under the prophetic leadership of Deborah. The actual narrative of the Israelites' victory is in Judges 5, while the poetic version, the Song of Deborah, is in the next chapter. Before the actual battle, we're told that King Jobin of Hazor and his general Sisera had been ruling over the Israelites for some 20 years, all after the Israelites' disobedience to God. They cry out, and a Redeemer is sent in this case the judge Deborah, aided by Barak. Deborah summoned Barak from his home at Kadesh in Naphtali and ordered him, in the name of God, to take 10,000 men to Mount Tabor. He agreed to do this with the condition that Deborah accompany him and the troops. Because Barak would not go to battle without Deborah, she prophesied that the honor of victory would not go to him, but rather to a woman. It's thought that Barak asked Deborah to go with him because of her connection with God. Some biblical scholars see this as Barak being spineless, while others see Barak as making a smart decision, owing to Deborah being seen as a mediator between God and humans, a prophetess. In reality, it could have been both smart and spineless. As for Deborah's prophecy, it obviously could mean that she would get credit for the victory, but it also could refer to Yael, who ended up being Sisera's ultimate assassin. Backing up just a bit in the history, at Mount Tabor, the Israelites were attacked by Sisera, as Deborah had expected. Before long, the Canaanite forces, sensing defeat, retreated with most of them being slain by the troops led by Barak. During the battle at Mount Tabor, a cloudburst occurred, causing the river Kishon to flood, which limited the maneuverability of the 900 Canaanite chariots. Sisera fled, seeking refuge in the tent of a Kenite woman, Yael, a hiding place where he would die, but only after being hidden under a rug. Soon after the general's death, Barak arrived on the scene with Yael leading him to Sisera's body in her tent. And that's essentially it in the Old Testament. 
Barak did merit a mention in the New Testament, in the Epistle to the Hebrews, where the writer praised Barak's faith, which gave him victory. No demerits in that part of the Bible. He was also mentioned in the apocryphal book of Machaon. This book is considered canonical in the Ethiopian Orthodox Tewihudu Church, a reference that led to his usage in the Ethiopian language Ahamaric, where his name translates to, He Who Blesses. And that's it for Barak. Moving along. There are a few other people and places mentioned in this part of the text. I covered Kadesh, Ramah, Mount Tabor, Bethel, and several other places mentioned in the chapter, all covered in Volume 1 of the podcast. As for Deborah's husband, Lapidoth, there's nothing to be found about him in the rest of the text, nor the outside record. Next up is Heber the Kenite and his wife, Yael. First Heber, if only because his history is shorter, and he's mentioned first. According to Judges, Heber was a descendant of Ruel the Midianite, the father-in-law of Moses. Heber and his wife, Yael, relocated away from the other Kenites and literally pitched their tent in the plain of Zanaim, which is near Kadesh, in the tribal territory of Naphtali. This was likely during the 12th century BC in the Hula Valley of northern Israel. The reasons for his moving away from his family to this area are not given, and it was quite a move as the rest of his family lived on the southern side of Judah, quite a distance away. Maybe it was a family feud. Maybe they were nomadic. Maybe. All of this is speculation. What's definite is I'm done covering him and moving on to his more notable wife. Yael was the heroine who finished off King Jabin of Hazer's general Sisera. Because of this, she is frequently credited with delivering the Israelites from their subjugation to that king, usually in parallel with Deborah and Barak. This assassination is said to have occurred in her tent when they were encamped near the great tree in Zananim, near Kadesh, with a slightly different spelling of Zananim than found before. As for her relationship with Heber, there is the theory, albeit not widely held, that she wasn't actually Heber's wife, and instead the ancient Hebrew recording in Judges may alternately be translated as a woman of the group of the Kenites. And, since they were specifically said to have been living in a tent, it's a safe assumption that at least this branch of the Kenites were nomadic and lived around and among the Israelites. Back in the beginning chapters of Exodus, you will recall that Moses' father-in-law was said to have been a Kenite. It's slightly unclear if this was Jethro himself and the Kenites may have been part of the Midianite group. All of these smaller groups seem to have intermarried frequently, perhaps another reason why the Israelites were told to avoid intermarriage, especially after the Exodus. Back in Judges, after the Canaanite general Sisera was sent running for his life by the victorious Israelites, he found himself in a Kenite camp. Specifically, Sisera abandoned his war chariot and arrived by foot at the tent of Heber, on the plain of Zanaim, 
Heber and his household were apparently at peace with King Jabin of Hazer, Sisera's boss. But it's thought that Yael was sympathetic to the Israelites, maybe due to their 20-year subjugation and oppression. It's also thought that within a Kenite camp, Yael's tent was separated from her husband Heber, though this does add potential credence to the theory that the two weren't really married. When Sisera arrived at the camp, he found his way to Yael's tent, where he was welcomed with hospitality. The general asked for a drink of water, but his order was upgraded to milk, a specific drink signaling that he was not only welcomed, but that Yael wasn't an ordinary Kenite, and Sisera wasn't an ordinary guest. The general commanded Yael to watch over the tent and to tell any inquirers that no one was there. At some point, he was hidden under or rolled up in a rug. Without warning, and while he was still in her tent, Yael took a mallet and drove a tent peg through Sisera's temple, then into the ground all while he was sleeping, and likely killing him instantly, which was considered the official defeat of this part of the Canaanite army. Soon after this, Barak arrived at the camp in pursuit of Sisera. When he did, Yael came out to meet him, saying, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So Barak went into her tent, and there was Sisera lying dead, with the tent peg in his temple. This is essentially how the story is found in Judges 4. Judges 5 is the Song of Deborah, which adds a few details about the Kenite heroine. There, Deborah sang, Most blessed of the women be Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of the tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked her for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. He sank. He fell. He lay still at her feet. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. So, no mention of a rug or her waiting until he was asleep. But, in both recountings, he lay dead at her feet due to her handiwork. And, there's one thing to note about this song, which I'll cover in more detail in an episode, or a few. What's noteworthy now is how many Old Testament scholars, in relying on linguistic evidence, meaning the archaic biblical Hebrew, have long believed that the Song of Deborah is one of the oldest parts of the Bible, dating back to about the 12th century B.C., around when the events recounted in the song occurred. I've mentioned it before. Music, a song, is a useful way to get an illiterate population to remember history. Outside of the Old Testament, Yael merited a mention in the pseudo-philod-authored commentary. There, he recorded that Yael took a stake in her left hand and approached Sisera, saying, If God will work this sign with me, I know that Sisera will fall into my hands. Behold, I will throw him down on the ground from the bed on which he sleeps, 
and if he does not feel it, I know that he has been handed over. With that, Yael took Sisera and pushed him onto the ground from the bed, but he did not feel it because he was very groggy. Then Yael said, Strengthen in me today, Lord, my arm, on account of you and your people and those who hope in you. And Yael took the stake and put it on his temple and struck it with a hammer. And while he was dying, Sisera told Yael, Behold, pain has taken hold of me, Yael, and I die like a woman. Yael replied, Go boast before your father in hell, and tell him that you have fallen into the hands of a woman. Yael was also mentioned in Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. During the wife of Bath's prologue, and while discussing her fifth husband's book of wicked wives, Chaucer mentions some wives who had drive nails in her brain while that they slept, and thus had him slain. Though, neither of these are truly extra-biblical mentions, and they simply refer back to the events found twice in the book of Judges. Back in Judges, there are other theories about the relationships between the Canaanites, Kenites, and Israelites. First, Judges 4 mentions there was peace between the Canaanites and Heber's clan of Kenites. They were also likely familiar to the Israelites through the connection of Jethro the Moses, and their assumed skill as metal workers was welcomed wherever they encamped, especially to a general with iron chariots. In all likelihood, both sides in the Canaanite-slash-Israelite conflict would have considered the Kenites a neutral party. One commentator even pointed out that since Sisera was Yael's guest in the sanctuary of her home, he would have been protected by the laws and customs of hospitality and would have let his guard down. Another commentator notes that she could have acted out of practical necessity. Sisera was in a running retreat with Barak in pursuit. It would not have been wise to allow Barak to find Sisera in her tent. She also knew Sisera would be killed if captured. Therefore, she would kill him and thus cement a friendship with the victor. Not too shabby of a way to think the entire situation through. A few other things of note. Christian moral theorists during the Renaissance extensively referred to Yael as an example of tyrannicide likely trying to deliver an underlying message. In ancient Hebrew, her name translates to Ibix, the nimble, sure-footed mountain goat native to that region. Other references are similar, translating it to, He shall ascend or go up. Finally, as of 2016, Yael was one of the most common female names in Israel, signaling her continued admiration some 3,000 years later. Which provides me with a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up in Judges 4. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, Help others define the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get it from. 
You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.